0: Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, evangelist TJ Malcanji. Let's get in it straight away. The dominion power of faith, the dominion power of faith. After a person, understand this, after a person gets born again and is saved, The number one place that the enemy attacks and seeks to subdue a Christian's understanding is in the place of dominion. The devil seeks to hide people's position of dominion from them after they're born again so that he can continue doing what he did pre-salvation, post-salvation. And remember, the Bible says that it is because of a lack of knowledge that my people are destroyed has nothing to do with how great the devil is has nothing to do with his power doesn't have you know the bible says jesus is some of his final words before he ascended to heaven was all authority and all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me has been given to me. So Jesus holds all authority and all power. Well, I'm not a mathematician, but if he has eight pieces of the pie, how many pieces of the pie are left for the devil to have? Zero. So the devil actually, you know, if you read Colossians 2.14, Satan has been stripped of his power. Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. He made public, a public show of them, a public humiliation of hell, openly having triumphed over them at the cross at Calvary. That's why 1 Corinthians 2 says if the devil had known what the cross signified and what Jesus would ultimately accomplish through his death, burial, and resurrection, at the cross at Calvary, the devil would have never moved to even encourage his crucifixion. He would have worked against the crucifixion. But remember, he incited the crowds to cry out for Barabbas over Jesus to be released because he thought that if he can get him nailed to that cross, that solved his Jesus problem. But in fact, it did the complete opposite. That's what we're about to celebrate this Easter Sunday, which I don't call it Easter Sunday. I call it Resurrection Sunday because... uh, the 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 celebration is the resurrection of Christ. Well, what happened? You know, people think that tomorrow's Friday, Good Friday, that Jesus just stayed in that tomb dead for 3 days doing nothing. No, something happened behind the scenes. The Bible says when he was dead, he descended to the lowest. He went to the devil's headquarters. He stripped the keys. You remember when Adam sinned, he sowed the keys of death of 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 dominion over to the devil. He legally, though he Though he didn't have a, a, a moral right to sin, he had a, a, a legal right to sin, and he legally handed over the keys of dominion to the devil. And so the devil had legal authority over the earth for a time. But the scripture says when Jesus died, he went to the lowest, located the devil's headquarters, and fulfilled the prophecy of Genesis 3, which was you have cru- you have bruised man's heel. You gave him a temporary... problem. But one will come from his from his seed, which will crush your head, that's what Jesus did, he crushed the head of the devil, stripped the keys of death, hell, and the grave, stripped the keys of dominion that the devil had over earth, he ascended on high, and when John on the island of Patmos saw him, he fell as one dead, Jesus lifted him up with his right hand, which is amazing, because it shows as great, and as magnificent, and as powerful as Jesus is, he is meek and lowly of heart, and though John had every reason to fear Jesus? Because of redemption, Jesus lifted him up and said, don't fear, don't be afraid. I am he who was dead, but behold, I'm not dead. People, you know, they see Good Friday and they put a frown on their face. You know, this was the day Jesus died and this is the day he was treated so spitefully. Yes, he was, but we already, it's like, You know, knowing the end of the story ahead of time, even though in the story it seems like there's a lot of negative things that happen, we have joy because at the end he rose from the dead and he ascended on high and told John, I have now the keys of death. I have the keys of hell. I have the keys of the grave. I have the keys of David that I can open and no man can shut. And he said, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom that wherever you go, you will bind and it will be bound from heaven. You will lose and it will be loose from heaven that's why i'm talking about the dominion power of faith because when jesus died and rose again it sealed the devil's defeat and it sealed and established the fact of your dominion over satan that you don't have to run around through life hoping that he doesn't pop his ugly head around your life hoping that he just ignores you or doesn't know you or doesn't doesn't um doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't come your way? You can do what the Bible says now because of the power of Christ in us. You can submit to God. You can resist the devil. We now have this resisting power because of our of the dominion power of faith to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. That's why it, it, it irks me when I see Christians down. When I see Christians suffering. When I see Christians suffering mercilessly at the hands of the devil because. It's all because of ignorance. It's due to the fact that they don't truly understand the full power of redemption. That you're no longer at the mercy of the devil. You're no longer subject to the devil. Because of Christ's dominion at the cross and triumph of the cross. And then that transference of that that authority over to his church, the body of Christ. We now have the power to... To to have the devil subject to us. The power to overwhelmingly conquer Satan's forces and darkness everywhere we go. We now have the keys of the kingdom so that the devil is no longer... Is is no longer an issue, no longer a problem, and you see that in the early church, in the book of Acts. They don't. You look at the. You read the book of Acts. They're not praying about the devil. They're not worried about the devil. They're not scratching their heads, uh, wondering what the devil was going to do next. They were like a holy ghost bulldozer. Everywhere they went, the devil cleared out of their way. The devil wasn't an issue to the early church. Why is it that the devil has become an issue to this modern church? We have to go back to that primitive Christianity. And why did the exercise that way because they understood some things that have been lost through the ages in, our, in the church. They understood they had a profound understanding of their dominion. They understood what Jesus said in Mark 16. They that believe on me, these signs are going to follow them. They will cast out devils. They'll pick up deadly serpents and they'll they'll not be harmed by it. They'll lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Doesn't say that they're going to be, you know, uh, they're going to be having a, a hard time with the devil. Devil, that they're gonna ultimately, when they get into certain regions, they're gonna have to watch out because certain principalities and powers are more hard and difficult than no, you'll cast out devils. Easy. There, there's no there is no sense of difficulty in Jesus' word. That word cast out literally means to throw out, to expel. So like when you get expelled from school, you're not allowed back in. That's what Jesus said. You're going to expel devils. You're going to cast them out. You're going to throw like like a guy getting thrown out of, a, of, of, of an institution by both hands on the back and the clothes whoo, thrown out, not allowed back in, not allowed back into the institution. That's what Jesus said. Your dominion over the devil will empower you to do. Luke 10 says that you'll have power and authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and over all the power of the devil. And nothing shall by any means harm you. For I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And when he fell, it marked your rise and your rise to the top. So get rid of this. You know, there's four types of Christians. There's one, the type of Christian that doesn't know that the devil even exists. They just think everything is just natural. Everything has a natural explanation. They never, you know, they ignore the reality of the demon world and the spiritual world. And, and, um... They're totally ignorant of it. And as such, the Bible says we're not ignorant of their devices lest we should be taken advantage of them. Because they're ignorant, they're taken advantage of. Secondly, there's people that know of the devil, but they're afraid of him, they don't know what to do. They they they're ignorant as to how they can handle him because they've not been taught by the word and so they're wrongly taken advantage of. Then the third type of Christian is there's the people that are constantly in spiritual warfare, trying to battle demons, trying to you know uh, fight and sweat fully and with all their strength, trying to bind everything everywhere they go and never seeming to have victory over it, always having this 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 um this this battle, this hard. Hard struggle with the forces of darkness, and they never seem to break free from it. That's the third type of Christian. There's the people that are, you know, constantly in every service, binding and loosing every three minutes. Because the devil's like some slippery fish that just comes out of your hands. But then, there's the fourth type of Christian, which I believe it's you, and if it's not you, it'll be you by the end of this broadcast. This is the type of Christian I am. It's the one that understands Satan's defeat, and Jesus' dominion, and the church's dominion over him. It's the one that truly understands that the devil was conquered at the cross, and Jesus didn't conquer the devil for himself, he conquered the devil for us. Jesus didn't get victory over Satan for himself, the Son of God was made manifest to destroy the work of the devil for us. That's the fourth type of Christian, which I pray by the end of this broadcast, you're going to enter into that realm of Christianity where, yes, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of wickedness and, and, uh, and, and, and principalities in dark places but the bible says the weapons of our of our warfare they're not carnal but they are mighty through god for the pulling down of strongholds yes there's a wrestling match but you know what something something that i noticed if i got into a, a wrestling match with um floyd mayweather or i got into a boxing ring with uh mike tyson and it was me versus Mike Tyson. We can call it a wrestling match. We can call it a battle. We can even advertise it, but it ain't going to be a long battle because one left hooked by Mike Tyson and TJ goes bye-bye. Well, in the same vein, the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood because Paul was trying to say the problem you're facing isn't a natural one. The the guy that's standing in front of your way, he's being manipulated by dark forces behind the scenes. That boss that just loves to make your life a living hell, he's not ju- doing it naturally. There's there's like a, a, there's like an unseen world that's influencing his actions towards you. That's what Paul was saying. You don't pick up guns to fight them. There's a, nat, there's a supernatural world that's influencing what happens in this natural world. But the good news is, is that the fight's already been fixed because Jesus already gave the devil two black eyes and a cracked head and he did it for you. So that now from now on, we have the name of Jesus and the power of the word to enforce Force that victory everywhere we go so that we no longer have to be at the mercy of the devil, constantly struggling with his unseen forces, but rather now we can take our rightful point of dominion and and, uh, authority. To walk through life as more than conquerors because of Christ who loved us. So if you'll take a second right now and share this broadcast, get this word out to as many people as possible. This is gonna be a life-changing broadcast for people. I don't know what's been going on with the algorithms on YouTube or whatnot, but usually at this point we have like 120 people, 130 people, we're only at 84. I don't know if it's if it's lack of sharing or if it's the actual YouTube algorithm they're trying to like shadow, shadow us. I have no idea, but Let's try and get these numbers up, not for the sake of having high numbers, but more numbers means more people being exposed to the truth. And the Bible says, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Let's get in it. So the dominion power of faith. I want to start off by reading a little story I read in a book before, Faith Can Change Your World by Lester Sumrall. And this is the story he tells. It's like a parable. He says, suppose someone kidnaps a king's only son, the crown prince of the realm and later the child is abandoned a beggar finds and adopts the boy having no identity of his uh, no idea of his identity now the child of the king eats as a as a beggar clothes himself with filthy rags and begs from house to house but suppose the king now Uh, knows the young prince by a birthmark that establishes his identity beyond question. The royal father never gives up in his search for the prince. One day, the king hears that a child resembling his son lives in a distant city with a beggar. Arriving at the beggar's hovel, the king examines the child and finds him to be his son. The crown prince is washed and groomed. He's given a robe, a ring, and a place of authority in the kingdom. Although that boy was the son of the king, the crown prince had lived for years like a beggar, because he didn't know who he was, he didn't know his position of redemption, a wonderful story, a a fictional story obviously, but it, it proves the point, that this king had a son, the son was kidnapped and abandoned, someone picked up the child, a beggar, felt compassion for the child, raises the child, the child ends up living a beggar's life, clothed with rags, eats very Uh, poorly throughout his entire life but years down the line the king finds the child and is able to identify him because of a birthmark they wash him they clothe him in royal apparel his position changes overnight but for years he he dwelt and lived as a pauper when he could have lived in prosperity what was the difference it was because the child had no clue had no clue where he came from and had no clue what his inheritance meant for him because of ignorance, he was stifled in living his best life. There are three reasons the Christian is hindered in this dominion walk in life. Number one is ignorance. The Bible says, Paul said in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be open so that you can see what is the hope of his calling. And the surpassing greatness of God's power that's available to you. So Paul, people would have come to him and said, hey... Paul, I have this problem, I have this challenge, I have this difficulty, I need to be healed of this sickness. Paul wouldn't say, okay, well, let's just pray that God heals you. He would say, Father, I pray that you'd open up their eyes to see the surpassing greatness of God's power that's already been made available to these people in redemption. But because of ignorance, people are cut off. Oil undiscovered is an untapped resource. Uh, Coal undiscovered is an untapped resource. You can be sitting in a house right now, under it is a a, a reservoir of oil that you don't know is there, and you could be struggling to pay your bills, but under you, if you would just allow a company to dig uh, as you come into the knowledge of what's under you, you would have had untold riches and wealth, but because you didn't know it's there, you couldn't take advantage of it. The word of God is the greatest untapped resource there is on planet earth. Because though there is sufficient power to unlock victory in every single area of your life, because people don't know what belongs to them in redemption, they live. As palpers when they're called to live as kings. You know, 1 Peter 2, 9 says, You are now a royal priesthood. You're a chosen generation. You're a special possession. Called forth to proclaim the praises of whom who called you into his glorious light. Who once were not the people of God, but now are the people of God. Who once had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. But because of ignorance, because of a lack of knowledge, my people are destroyed. The Bible says that he that wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. If you don't understand your covenant rights from the word of God, you'll never walk in dominion. You'll always be hindered. You'll always struggle. But when you start to understand what redemption did for you, that you were like that that beggar's child, you were clothed with rags, you were deprived by sin, you were impoverished, you were bankrupt, you had no power to, to conquer the devil's power, you had nothing in you to bring victory, there was nothing, there was unrest and distress, but when Christ died for you, and rose again from the dead, he, the Bible says, he took us out of that horrible pit, He raised us up with Christ, made us to be seated in him, in heavenly places, that now in the ages to come, he might show to us the surpassing greatness of his power that's available to us who believe. Hallelujah. You have to write that in the comment section. I'm seated in Christ. I'm seated with Christ. I'm seated with Christ. Where Christ is, is where I'm at. So ignorance blocks people from operating in this dominion faith. to unbelief. So it's one thing to know something, but you got to accept it and believe it as fact. You can't just receive it and discard it. You got to accept it and receive it as fact. The Bible says in Hebrews 3.19, they could not enter in to the rest because of their unbelief. God has a place of rest for you. God wants you to rest from that battle that you've been struggling with, that depression, that anxiety, that distress of heart, that marital problem. God wants to bring you to a place of rest in your marriage a place of rest in your body, a a place of rest in your finances. But the Bible says there's one force that will keep people out, and it's not the devil. They could not enter in because of unbelief. Mark 6 says, though Jesus wanted to do mighty miracles there, they couldn't have mighty miracles uh, done in their town because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. Well, that's why we're taking time to build, build your faith. Faith is built on accurate knowledge. So, what's unbelief? Inaccurate knowledge. When you don't quite know what belongs to you, it's or if you do, but it's not at a point where you actually uh, comprehend it and understand it, where you start to walk in it. You can't have true faith. Accurate knowledge is the is what builds people's faith up. It's when you truly see from the scriptures. You know, Genesis 4, uh, 13, 14, and 15. God tells Abraham, lift up your eyes and look eastward, northward, southward, and westward. As far as your eye can see, that's land that you can have. So I talked about this on Tuesday's broadcast. Seeing is believing. And I'm not talking about seeing as in you see it manifest in, in, in the natural realm. I mean, seeing it in the word of God, where you understand it belongs to you. That you When you understand, you know, if someone left me an inheritance of a million dollars and someone tried to live in that million dollar house that that was clearly left to me, I wouldn't just let him live there. I'd take the legal uh, required steps, legally required steps to boot that guy out of the house so I can live in it. That's what. Accurate knowledge of the word does. It shows you Satan's boundaries. It shows you that the devil can come this far, but he can't go that much further. He can't come further. He can't encroach. He can't approach. The Bible says pestilence can stalk in darkness. Problems can stalk in darkness. But they can't come near me to the point where I'm defeated. Hallelujah. So faith, in or understanding rather, accurate knowledge of the word of God shows you Satan's boundaries where he's not allowed to come and touch, where the the extent of his, of his dominion r- relies. But some believers don't understand that. So they he comes in like a thief, comes into their homes, puts sickness on their children, does whatever they, he wants to do, and they know, oh, this must be a natural part of life. No, it's not. Legally, redemption brings certain things to you. When those things aren't there in your life, you don't just sit back and relax and say well must not be God's will you start to see that the devil's a thief he tries to take what doesn't belong to him and truly belo- that's why it's proof when the devil comes to steal health from you it's proof that health belongs to you but what do you do you don't just sit back and relax hope he leaves your accurate knowledge of the word that tells you by his stripes you're healed that redemption Paid healing for your body, paid for healing for your body, you rise up now with a violent faith. I refuse to be defeated in this area. I refuse to be sick. That's where people start to make violent proclamations. I refuse to be sick. I refuse to be afraid. I refuse to be defeated. I refuse to give up and quit. He that began a good work in me is going to complete it. Because I'm on the winning side, faith empowers me to overcome not to under not to, to be defeated to overcome and so when you understand that it produces a sense of violence where you don't put up with the devil's crap anymore you say enough is enough I'm not tolerating this thing anymore just like you don't tolerate sin why tolerate everything else sin brought you don't tolerate sin why tolerate Satan why tolerate I want to bring you to a point of of, of holy aggravation, if that's even a word, a holy indignation, let's say that, a holy anger, to be aggravated in a holy way, where there's this refusal to just, there's too many Christians that just are are pushover Christians, they get laid flat by the devil, never have a, a, a reaction to what the devil's trying to bring on their life, and as such, they live. As more than conquered, rather than living as more than conquerors. And then the third hindrance to sin. So ignorance, unbelief, three is sin. That's an obvious one. Sin lowers people. You can't ride high when you're brought low by sin. So three things you have to understand if you're going to walk in this dominion power of faith. One is understand your redemption. I just talked about it. You're engrafted with Christ. Romans 11 says, you who are a wild olive branch have been grafted in. To the tree, the natural tree, which represents Christ. And you're now a partaker of the root and fatness of the tree. So now because I'm, I'm grafted into Jesus, his dominion is now my dominion. His authority is now conferred on me. His power is now transmitted in and through me. The Bible says if any man is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Everything becomes new. Christ, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, made a new man, a new creation. And that word new in the Greek is a kind that the world has never seen. When you were redeemed, you were born from above, above. And the Bible says you were grafted into Christ. His DNA now flows in and through you. His power, his authority, his dominion power now flows through you. And as such, when we look at Christ, how he operated dominion over the devil, that same story or inheritance belongs to that same ability is conferred on you. You don't see Jesus wondering if he was going to get sick this week or if Jesus was wondering that, you know, if I go into the region of the Gadarenes, that there's, I heard there's a principality, there's actually a demon possessed man that is rumored that he has over 2,000 demons. I don't know what I'm going to, I'm going to have my work cut out. He didn't fear demons. The opposition feared him. The devil came, bowed before him and said, what have we to do with you, son of the most high God? Have you come to torment us before the time? That's what that dominion power does. It... It causes you to leave the realm where you're tormented and brings you into the realm where you're doing the tormenting against the devil and his forces. Where you're not being slapped, you're doing the slapping. There's too many Christians that are slapped up when they're the ones that have, Jesus already said, I give you power over all the work of the devil. Nothing can even harm you. You'll cast out devils. When you go into regions, you become the principality because it's no longer I who lives. G- uh, Galatians 2.20 says, Paul said, it's no longer I who lives. Christ now lives in me. Redemption puts you on top. Because you're born from above, Jesus said you're, you are you're born from above, you're above all. You're above all. So how do you have dominion? Oh, you know, there's main areas where the believer is called to have dominion over, and it's scripturally attested to. Dominion over sin. Romans 6 says, sin shall no longer have dominion over you, that you should obey it. You have dominion over sin. You have dominion over sickness. The Bible says, he took sickness out of the midst of us. Exodus 23, 25. You have dominion over depression. The Bible says that we are to be anxious of nothing. But the peace of God is to guard our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 26, 3. They look unto him, and he will keep in perfect peace those whose eyes are stayed on him. So depression doesn't uh, connote peace and joy. It's the opposite. The Bible says that God will give you perfect peace as you keep your eyes fixed on him. So the believers call to have dominion over depression. But why is it that there's believers that it, it seems like they're being dominated by these things rather than doing the dominating? The dominating? Well, because... Because they don't understand this number one fact. Redemption has repositioned you over these things. He that is born from above is above all of these things. Sickness is far below you. Depression is far below you. Anxiety is far below you. Defeat is far below you. Fault and weakness is far below you. Stop seeing these things as on equal ground. You know, there's that stupid picture that people post on Instagram. Where it's like the devil and Jesus are arm wrestling. And the devil's sweating and Jesus is sweating. And there's like this, this, this uh, unending battle between... As if like Jesus was the devil's brother. And that they're on the same ground. That they have the same type of power available to each one. No! Christ is far above. The devil is far below. The Bible says he has been seated far above principalities and powers. The devil's under his feet. The good news is, is that redemption, you've been connected. I said it. You're the branch that was dead and dying and diseased, but you've been grafted into Christ. Because you're grafted into Christ, you now carry that same power. And the Bible says, not only you grafted, you're seated in him in heavenly places in that same place of authority. So just like the devil's under Jesus's feet, he's under your feet. He's under your feet. If you feel like you're the pinky toe in the body of Christ, you're still above the devil. Because last time I checked, if the Bible says he's under your feet, even if you're the pinky toe, the devil's still below that. So why worry? Understand your redemption. Before you can walk in the power of dominion faith, you have to understand these basic facts. You have to understand that the Bible says you are redeemed from the powers of darkness into the kingdom of God's, God's dear son, the kingdom of light. You're redeemed from darkness. The Bible says Paul had a mission to turn people from the power of Satan to the power of God. From darkness to light. So if you've been delivered from darkness, why do you keep saying, I feel like darkness has a hold on me? Well then clearly you don't believe what the Bible says. How could the darkness have a hold on you if you've been delivered from the darkness? Either God is a liar or you just don't understand the truth. God's not a liar. He said, I'm not a liar. I'm not a man that can change. As I have spoken, so shall it stand. The Bible says forever the word of God is established. It's established fact. So quit saying I'm con- you know I just feel like darkness has a hold on me. I just hope the devil doesn't turn this way. I don't know what I'm going to do. Seems like we have our c- work cut out for us. Instead of talking like that, start to confess what the Bible says. I'm redeemed as more than a conqueror. I'm redeemed as Above all the forces of darkness. I'm redeemed as as a man who's got a position in heavenly places. Far above principalities and powers. I'm redeemed and delivered from darkness. And redeemed to light. And then another thing you have to understand in redemption is that your citizenship changed. Your citizenship changed. I want to read Acts chapter 22. Listen to this. The Bible says that Paul was taken into captivity and he was being whipped by a Roman soldier. But this is what he says. Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to whip a man who's a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do to this man. He's a Roman. The commander came and said and, said, uh, said and told him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes, I am. The commander answered, With a large amount of money I obtained the citizenship. Paul said, but I was born a citizen. Oh, hallelujah. Man, if you'd catch what I'm saying, it'd change your life. Immediately, those who were about to examine him and beat him and torment him even more withdrew from him. And the commander said, take care of what you do to this man. And they released him from his bonds. The commander was afraid after he found out that he was a Roman. And because he had bound him. And he said, release him from his bonds. Paul understood citizenship. Redemption, the Bible says has given you new citizenship. You're no longer a citizen of sin, in the land of sin, under the tyranny of the devil, under the kingdom of the devil. You are a citizen of heaven, the Bible says, and your kingdom, not your kingdom, your citizenship is in heaven. Romans, uh, Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. So now because you're a citizen of a new nation, a new kingdom, the laws that govern the old kingdom of sin and Satan which was death, disease, poverty and all those things that unfortunately still rule over Christians to this day because they don't understand what I'm about to say. They're they're, uh, mercilessly beaten just like Paul was being whipped and scored until he mentioned his citizenship. But because there are many Christians that walk around thinking that post-redemption their life will look no different until they make heaven They are, like Paul, whipped and scourged and taken advantage of unnecessarily because they don't understand this principle of citizenship. The moment Paul said, I'm a citizen of Rome, they backed off. The moment you start to declare your citizenship in heaven and start to understand that I've broken free from the laws that that governed the land I used to live in, the land of sin. I've been set free from the laws of sin and death. I've been set free to the laws that govern the realm of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So those laws no longer no longer have authority over me. I'm not subject to those laws, the laws of sin and death. You know, if I'm in Canada, if I move to uh, Australia, and I forfeit my Canadian citizenship, and I'm now an Australian citizen... The laws of Canada, they can't come and arrest me in Australia. I'm not under their jurisdiction anymore. They have no authority over me. I now, I abide by Australian law. Well, we were under the law of sin and death. We were under the government of the devil, and he had every right to beat us down, but when you got saved and redeemed, you left that realm, you came into the realm of the kingdom of God, your citizenship is now in heaven, you're no longer subject to those old laws, you now have a new law that governs your life, and it's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus You're broken free from the law of sickness. That's why Jesus said, I hold the keys of death and I hold the keys of David. And I open and no man can shut and I shut and no man can open. Jesus was saying, when you come into my kingdom, I shut the door on sickness. And I open the door of health. I shut the doors on the laws of poverty. And I open the doors of prosperity. I shut the doors on depression and anxiety. And I open the doors of peace and joy. I shut the doors of sin and dominion of sin. And I open the doors of the power that is able to make you to live a righteous life. Number one, understand redemption. Number two, understand your righteousness in Christ. Understand your righteousness in Christ. What do I mean by this? One major thing that causes people to never walk in dominion In life, And I'm not just talking about dominion over the devil, I'm talking about dominion in your finances, dominion in the area of your mind. There's a lot of people that are dominated by their mind rather than dominion, having dominion in their mind and over their thoughts. You know, Paul said we're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Unfortunately, many are captive to their own minds and that's not how it's supposed to be. Your mind makes a terrible master, but it makes a wonderful slave and the Bible says we're to actually enslave our minds to the word of God. So I'm not just talking about dominion over Satan and de- demons, which you know we're going to talk about that. But I'm talking about dominion over every area of life, dominion in your family, dominion over finances, dominion over uh, over sin, where you're not bound by sin and constantly living this this vicious, uh, frustrated. Lifetime struggle with sin. Where it's constantly you're trying to break free from a sin. Coming out of one, falling into another. There's a point in life, Romans 6 says, where you can actually be dead completely to sin and live victoriously by the power of righteousness. But I'll tell you something. The main thing, in my opinion, that keeps people out of walking in dominion and in victory is their lack of understanding of their righteousness in Christ. What do I mean by that? They've been blood, blood bought, blood washed, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, sanctified and justified, but they still f- identify themselves by their old nature. They still identify themselves as sinners. I mean, you know, we're all sinners. No, we're not. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So you have to quit keeping that relationship with sin alive by the words you speak and start to confess what the Bible says about you. I'm not a sinner. I've been saved by grace. I'm now God's righteousness in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews 10... That we have been released from the consciousness of sins. So the blood of Jesus doesn't just, you know, blot out your record in heaven. But we still have to live guilt rotten. Totally weighed down by the guilt of our past lifestyle. And our our past mistakes. And that God's always, you know, the Bible says it's the devil that is the accuser of the brethren. It's the devil that tries to bring up your old mistakes up. God forgot about it. He put it under the blood. The Bible says, your sins and lawless deeds, I will remember no more. So if God remembers it no more, and you're still reminding yourself of it, who do you think's at the other end of that reminding, that reminder? It's the devil who wants to constantly bring up every reason as to why you couldn't walk in dominion over him. So as to keep you bound and not walking in that dominion power. But the moment you understand your righteousness in Christ, that my relationship with sin no longer exists. I'm dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Zechariah 3 paints a picture of this. A man that was stained on his garments. And the Bible says he was standing before God. And the devil, the accuser, accused him before God day and night. Said, how are you letting this guy stand before you? And the Lord said, um, away from me, Satan. And he commanded one of the angels to get, to get the, the dirty garments off that man. And to put on him clean white garments. Which is a symbol of what Jesus did for you in redemption. Took off your old sinner self. The Bible says we have put away the old man. We've put away the old man. We've been renewed in the spirit. And we've put on the new man. Romans chapter 13 says that we are to put on Christ. And make no provision for the flesh. We've put on Christ. We've put on his righteousness. We've been clothed with Christ. And when that happened, that old man was uh, ridden of his old garments that were stained by sin, and he put on white glistening garments. And the Lord said to Satan, Away from me, Satan, for this, this is my brand that's been plucked from the fire. And though his sins were as red as scarlet, they've been made white as snow. Though they were as red as crimson, they've they've been made white as wool. So when the devil tries to remind you of your past, everything you've done that should disqualify you from walking in victory, start to remind him of what the blood of Jesus did for you. Remission of sin. That's not just the sin is covered somewhere, but it can be uncovered. No, it's been wiped out, blotted out. As far as the east is from the west, so has he blotted out our sins from his sight. I am redeemed. I've been cleansed by his blood. I've been made white as snow. The devil wants to remind you of your past? Remind him of his past. How many times he's failed? How many times he's been defeated? How many times he's brought up this plan that seemed glorious in his sight to wipe out the children of God, but every single time he got struck down and failed and then remind him of his future. In Revelation 20, it talks about a lake of fire that the devil, the false prophet, and the beast, and all of them that allied with them will be thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And they'll be in torment in, in that place of fire for it for an eternity where the worm will never die and the flame will never be quenched. You should write that in in the comment section. I'm not a sinner anymore. Write that in the comment section. It's a powerful confession. I'm not a sinner anymore. Because there's too many preachers... That teach people to call themselves sinners. I mean, you know, we're all just sinners. We're all depraved, wretched human beings. We were that. We were those things. But the blood of Jesus, by grace, has converted us into something new. I was a sinner. I was cut off. But the blood of Jesus brought us who were far off near. I'm no longer a stranger and a foreigner. I'm a fellow citizen with a saint. I'm I'm a saint. You know what the word saint means? It means sanctified. How could you be a saint and a sinner? It's like being a a married bachelor. It doesn't, doesn't make sense. You're either married or you're single. You're either a saint or you're a sinner. You can't call yourself by both. So choose to call yourself by what the word of God says. You know, Paul. Think of it. Paul who murdered the church who was a brutal persecutor of the church. You hear him writing to one of the churches later on. He said, I've wronged nobody in anything. How could Paul, a brutal, merciless persecutor of the church, come out later on and say, I've wronged nobody? Because he understood his his righteousness in Christ. My righteousness is not of any work of myself. Has nothing to do with what I've done. Has nothing to do with What I've done and what I will do. My righteousness is based on Christ alone. The chief cornerstone. That's why it can't be moved and it can't be hindered. Number three thing you have to understand. If you're going to walk in dominion power is understand Satan's origins and understand his defeat. Isaiah 14 says that one day the believers are actually going to march on before Satan. And we're going to see him. This is at the end of time. Isaiah's prophesying that one day we're going to look to Satan. We're going to look at him. And we're to—we're not going to say, oh man, what a strong, powerful being. What a great, uh, I mean, how are we supposed to defeat this thing? He's way too strong. Look at his biceps. His biceps have biceps. How are we supposed to disarm this guy? It doesn't say that that's what we're going to say. Isaiah 14 says the redeemed are going to look to Satan. And we're going to say, is this the one That made the nations tremble? Is this the one that made cities a wilderness? Is this the one that made people sick? This is what he looks like? This is what made families destroyed? Broken homes? Addicted to drugs? All of that was sourced by him? All of those things caused by him? Is this what he... I wish we had known ahead of time we would have dealt with him differently. But I'm not going to be that one. I'm going to look, you know, if I'm going to believe everything the Bible says about what I am, everything the Bible says about who God is, we should also look into what the Bible says about the devil. And it doesn't say he's some formidable foe. It doesn't say he's some big red-tailed, horned, pitchfork and fire in his eyes type of devil. The Bible says his head's been crushed. He's been defeated. The Bible says that uh, he's been stripped of all power and of all authority. So we not only see his defeat uh, now, but look at his ultimate defeat. I just just talked about it. The the lake of fire, where he's going to spend eternity in a flame that never burns out. So you understand the origins of the devil. You understand his defeat and you understand his ultimate defeat. This allows you to have a superiority complex over the devil. This is why in 2 Kings 1, when Elijah had people sent to his his mountain that he was on, and it was the king sending to arrest Elijah. Elijah didn't say, oh man, what am I going to do? God, we really need help. He didn't even ask for help. He knew that the forces that were coming against him were demonically inspired. And what did he say? If I be a man of God, let fire come and consume you. And the fire came and killed them. Another garrison of troops were sent to arrest him. Elijah responded the same way, if I be a man of God, let fire fall and consume them, and fire came, then the third garrison troop, hey, say, Elijah, we're not, we're not here to arrest you this time, we, we promise we won't arrest you, they, the third guy was a little wiser than the first two commanders, but you look at the response Elijah had, he didn't worry about it, he saw his superiority over the devil. And so if he's superior over the devil, then anything under the devil's ranks and hierarchy, anything under the devil's uh, 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 system of command is also, was also placed under Elijah's command and charge. So he didn't pray about it. He said, if I be a man of God. That's how your reaction should be. Your son has a fever. If I be a man of God, and this, if this be... A household that has the blood of Jesus on his lintel and doorpost, this fever dies and leaves his body now in Jesus' name. That's not Father we, or, or calling pastor, just keep us in prayer. That's taking matters into your own hand. That's why I'm preaching about the dominion power of faith. Because faith is not God, we leave this in your hands. Faith is understanding what now belongs to you by redemption, and you start to take charge. And com- Faith is a commanding force. Hebrews eleven thirty three. By faith, they subdued kingdoms. By faith, they obtained promises. By faith, they escaped the edge of the sword. They quenched the violence of fire. That was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's story. Nebuchadnezzar said, we're going we're gonna to fry you today. You're going to be burnt up. You're going to be toast by the end of this day. What did they say? Oh, God, we just pray. We leave this in your hand. Our God is able and he will deliver us from your hand, O King Nebuchadnezzar. For our God whom we serve, he is able and he will deliver us. They released their faith and it gave them dominion over the burning fiery furnace. And that furnace can represent trial and tribulation in your life. The devil wants nothing more than to convince you that the problem and the challenge you're facing today is a hopeless situation. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. This is how it's been is how it'll be. But you gotta start to adopt that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego style of faith that says no matter the fire the devil tries to throw me in, I know that by faith I can dominate my circumstances and not have my circumstances dominate me. That's the Jesus faith. Mark chapter 4. The Bible says there was a storm that the disciples began to uh, panic about. The water was filling the boat, and they came to Jesus, who was asleep in the stern, and said, don't you care that we're perishing? What did Jesus do? Let's gather hands. We're going to pray. Father, we just ask you that this storm that we know you sent to try us. and No, he didn't do that. He got up, looked at the source of the storm, which was the devil himself. If you study Mark chapter 4, the the, the word for storm there is not just a regular storm. It's actually... Did a study on this not too long ago that that storm was like a, 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 a quickly darkness inspired storm. It was like a perfectly clear skies and then a minute later, darkness covered the skies. Well, do you think that's natural or unnatural? That's unnatural. Jesus recognized. You know who was going. Jesus going to deliver at the other end of that, of at the other end of the land. Went from one place to the other. What was the other side leading him to do? When he got to the other side, he was gonna cast the demon out of the leech, out of the the demoniac, the legion out of the demoniac. So this was like the devil's last ditch effort to keep Jesus away from that demoniac. Guard his territory. What did Jesus do? He got up and he spoke to the storm. That's dominion power faith. It's not praying about the storm, it's taking command over the storm. Hush, be still. And the Bible says, immediately, the storm subsided and there was a great calm. So that Peter, a trained fisherman, said, I've never seen the, I've never seen the seas this calm in my entire life. And he had been on, his, on the sea his entire life. That's what I'm talking about today. The dominion power faith. That doesn't leave, you know, any faith that leaves everything into God's hands and get, puts the responsibility solely on God is an irresponsible faith. If your faith does not empower you to share responsibility with God to enforce your desired outcome, it's not Bible faith. It's not Bible faith. Any man or woman of faith. Look at Hebrews 11. It doesn't say by faith, God just did it, they did nothing about it. It doesn't say by faith, Abraham just received all these things no matter how he lived. It says by faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Noah moved. By faith, the Bible says... Uh, Moses did not fear the wrath of the king. By faith, they did something. They did something. They didn't just stand by and wait for God. Lord, we know in your time it's going to happen. By faith, they spoke. By faith, they acted. By faith, they moved with godly fear, knowing that God was too faithful to fail. They were, Abraham was fully persuaded. As he moved with God, God would move for him. By faith. So faith is not just, you know, Lord, we put this in your hands. We we just leave this to you. That's, that's an irresponsible faith. Faith is not leaving in things in God's hands. Faith is delightfully co- complying with the scriptures to do what God said you should do that would provoke the desired outcome. That's what faith is. So how do you walk in this dominion power of faith? Number one thing you have to do, and I'll remind you of this, spiritual conflict requires individual involvement. So I talked about that faith is not just, Lord, we leave it in your hands. There's individual involvement. There's personal responsibility if you're going to have personal victory. You must personally exercise your dominion. You can't have pastor do it for you. You can't have brother, sister, so-and-so do it for you. You can't call apostle this and that and have him do it for you. You have to learn. you got to press on to maturity. You cannot just outsource and contract out the things God's told you you have to do. By this time, you ought to be teachers. You're still relying on others. There has to be a point where you, you evolve spiritually. You mature spiritually into someone who who carries their own dominion faith, into someone who is themselves casting out devils, not relying upon the faith of another, not piggyback-faithing. You know, people are piggyback-faithers. They piggyback on everyone else's faith because they don't want to take the responsibility to develop their own faith. They remain nursery Christians, infant believers, always looking for another person's milk bottle to drink from. Instead of pressing on to maturity. Jesus gave you a badge of authority. He didn't give the apostle, evangelist, pastor, prophet, and teacher the badge of authority. And then everyone else has to depend on their authority. He's given. The Bible says, they that believe, these signs shall follow. The Bible says in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Not blessed the fivefold ministry. Who has blessed us. If you consider yourself to be a part of the body of Christ, you're included in the us with every spiritual blessing. And part of that spiritual blessing is you've received a badge of authority. So quit complaining to the mayor and quit looking to other police to get the, you know, God gave you the badge of authority. You've been listed as a policeman in God's, in God's, uh, God's realm. So when the devil tries to violate a law, you don't complain to the mayor. God why is this happening to me? Why is this happening? We don't know. Help me make sense of this. We don't complain to them. You can imagine a police guy, a police officer, seeing people speed in front of him and then he just called, hey, Mayor, uh, this and that. I just want to let you know <coughs> there are people speeding on this road. I don't know what to do. What do you mean you don't know what to do? You've been trained. You have a badge. You have a gun. You have authority to chase them down and if they don't, if they don't stop, if they don't, relinquish themselves, you can arrest them. You have the authority to do so. There's a lot of Christians that the devil violates their rights, and instead of taking authority over it, they complain to the mayor. Mayor God, I don't know what to do. What do you mean you don't know what to do? Let me explain what you should do. If you don't know what to do, here's what you should do. How to dominate by the power of faith. Number one, choose to not fear. Reject fear. Refuse to fear. The Bible says, we don't fear, which is a sign to our enemy of his destruction. Your decision to not fear indicates to the devil his destruction is near. Your decision to not fear is an indication to the devil that his destruction is near. The Bible says, I will not be afraid. The scripture says in um, Psalm 91, I will not fear fear. The terror at night. I'm not going to fear the pestilence that stalks in darkness. The destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand can die all around me. Ten thousand can fall to my right side. I will not be afraid. The Lord is my light. He's my salvation. He's the stronghold of my life. He's my refuge and my fortress. My God in whom I trust. And he's not going to fail me. David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. To fear is a choice. You can experience the emotion of fear. But if you, you have the choice to either reject it or entertain it. David said, I will not be afraid. He, I'm, not, I'm not saying David never felt fear. He must have felt fear. He was human. But he chose not to entertain thoughts of fear and feelings of fear. So how do you reject fear? By filling your mind with faith. Uh, Paul says in the Philippians 4, he says that we are not to dwell on things that are not true. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, if there's anything that is excellent, there's anything noble-minded, dwell on those things. Don't be anxious about anything. Well, Paul, that's very insensitive. If you understood anxiety, it's not like we want to be anxious. Well, Paul was obviously not... not He wasn't... In, um, he wasn't, uh, it's was not like he was lacking compassion. Paul had compassion, but he understood that the believer has dominion over anxiety, and you can actually reject anxiety, and then fill your mind with what is true, what is good, what is pure, what is excellent. If it doesn't pass the criteria of Philippians 4.8, then it has no business being in your mind. Fear not. When you feel like worrying, instead, start laughing. Start to put your hand on your belly and start laughing. Laugh in faith. That's what Psalm 2 says. The wicked counsel against the Lord. They take counsel against the Christ and His anointed. And he that sits in the heavens, he laughs. God's laughing at the plots of the devil against your life. God's laughing at the plans of the devil against this generation. You know, you expose yourself to the news, CNN, and all kinds of MSNBC and what Twitter's saying, you'll end up filling your heart with sorrow and heaviness and anxiety and worry because of all the possible things that analysts are saying and projecting could happen. Mortgage rates going up, uh, inflation rising. I mean, you start to just focus on those things. You'll be weighed down by a spirit of heaviness. It's self-inflected harm, but if you'll do what the word of God says and join God in heaven in laughing, then sure the devil has a plan for the generation, but like I read before, we've been delivered from this world, this wicked age. The Bible says he has delivered and rescued us from this present wicked age according to the will of our God and Father. So what happens to others won't happen to me. Just like God distinguished Israel in the land of Goshen, though they were in the land of Egypt, they had light even though there was darkness in Egypt, even though there was plagues and locusts that chewed up the harvest of the Egyptians, the harvest of the Israelites endured and was untouched. Not even a dog barked its mouth. And God said that you may know that I make a distinction between those who serve me and those who serve me now. In these last days, God's going to make a distinction. So who cares what the analysts are saying? As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. We're going to taste and see in good times and in bad times of the goodness of the Lord while we're yet in the land of the living. If you believe that for you and your family, why don't you by faith put a mighty amen in the comment section. Fear not. Bible says submit to the to God, f- resist the devil. doesn't say submit to God, but still fear the devil because he's got power. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Number two, how to operate in the dominion power of faith use the word as a weapon. Use the word as a weapon. Jesus is in the wilderness, Satan, not a demon, not some low level demon. Satan himself came to Jesus and tempted him three times. All it took was three scriptures from Jesus' mouth to get the devil on the run. So, how do you submit to God? Get saved. How do you resist the devil? Use the word of God. It's a sword. That strikes down every one, every one of his attacks. And not only is it a sword, remember I talked about on Tuesday that we have the shield of faith. The shield of faith. So where's faith coming from? The word of God. So what's the shield of faith dependent on? Your understanding of the word of God. The Bible says we take up the shield of faith, which is the word, faith in the word, and it extinguishes every fiery dart. Of the devil. There's nothing the devil can design. No weapon he can design that the word of God can strike down and can extinguish by that shield called faith. There's nothing. There's no problem the devil would try to throw you away that the power of faith can't subdue and squash and uproot. Don't stay silent. Close mouth, close destiny. Don't just hope and wish that things will turn better. You know, time heals all. Actually, it's not true, because I've seen people wait for time to heal things, and they're 40 years down the line still waiting for time to heal things. You know what does heal all? The Word of God. He sent His Word, and it healed them, and delivered them out of all their destruction. So until you send the Word into your problems, and into your your situation, it's not going to, you're not going to see deliverance in your life. You have to send the word. A closed mouth is a closed destiny. If it's too big for your mouth to speak, it'll be too big for your hands to hold. So be bold and be brave. Be confident. Not only to study the word of God, but get it in your heart to a point for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. Get it in your heart to the point where it bubbles out of your mouth. And the word of God carries dominion in and by itself. The Bible says, so shall my word be that comes out of my mouth. It'll never return void. So the word of God has to come out of your mouth if it's not going to return void. You can be a man or a woman of dominion by giving the word first place in your life. Number three, way to operate in dominion faith is using the name of Jesus. Got to learn to use the name of Jesus. The Bible says he received that name by inheritance. Because he was the son. Today you are my son. I have begotten you. He received that name by bestowal. It was get conferred to him or given to him. The Bible says because of his obedience to the point of death on the cross. There was given him a name. There was bestowed upon a name that is above every other name in heaven, earth, and under the earth. That at the mention of the name, every, na- every knee should bow and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. So it was given to him. And then number three, he received the name by conquest. The Bible says he has... Uh, he has received a more excellent name when he has purged, purged us of our sin and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. He sat down in the place of a conqueror and he received the name by conquest. And that name is above every other name. So it's above the name of cancer. It's above the name of depression. It's above the name of marital distress. It's, the, it's above the name of anxiety. It's above a name of every Name that is named in this age and in the world to come. And it gets those those enemies. It makes every enemy of your life bow. Cause, the, And the great thing is we have legal power of attorney uh, in that name. What's legal power of attorney? Well, legal power of attorney signifies uh, the... The privilege of somebody being able to act in another person's stead. So when Jesus said, in my name, you'll ask anything and it will be done for you. He gave us legal power of attorney. That we can speak anything in Jesus' name. Obviously if it's in God's word. And God will back that command up with his resources, his power. And his authority to enforce that thing on the earth. So the legal power of attorney of a thing is dependent, how powerful that legal power of attorney is, is dependent upon how powerful uh, how powerful the name is. So if, if God was semi-powerful, then even if we had full power of attorney to use the name, there'd be limitations in using that name. But because God is unlimited in power, unlimited in resources, unlimited in authority, that power of attorney and the in the name that uh, that God has given us in the usage of the name of Jesus has unlimited potential in releasing things to us. The name of Jesus is God conferring on you legal power of attorney to speak a word by the word of God. Backed up by that name, which then connects all of heaven's power and resources to go to work in enforcing that thing in your life. So instead of just tolerating things, you know, the Bible. G, uh, David said, though armies encamp around me, and though they swarm in like bees, in the name of the Lord, I'll cut them off. When you use that name, it releases God's power to cut off every enemy of your life cut off that connection from you. The name of Jesus also makes you a legal authorized dealer of his dominion. There are many dealers. There are a lot of garages, but they don't have authorized certified dealer on their names. And so they might give you cheap parts, counterfeit parts, but the Bible says that the name of Jesus gives us uh. It, the name of Jesus empowers us, rather, to be an authorized dealer of his dominion. Authorized, certified dealers of the real stuff. There are a lot of fake dealers of success and a lot of fake dealers of, uh, of salvation in life. You have the Buddhists that preach one thing. They're not authorized dealers. God never authorized Buddha. Mohammed, God never authorized Muhammad. Confucius and all the rest, God never authorized them. But God said in Acts 4.12, uh, Neither is there any name under heaven given amongst men, but the name of Jesus by which we must be saved. There is no other name in which we can be saved but the name of Jesus. So not only are we saved by the name of Jesus, but the name of Jesus allows us to be authorized dealers of that same saving power to the world around us. That's why he said, in my name, you'll lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. We've now become authorized dealers of God's power by the name of Jesus. That when we give a command in Jesus' name, God's authorized it from heaven. And he doesn't give the cheap counterfeit parts. The real deal, the the actual substantial power of God goes to work. To heal, to deliver, to set free. Number four, way to dominate by the power of faith is monitor your general confession. You'll never rise higher than your confession. You'll never walk in dominion and faith if you're just vomiting out the report of the world in, uh, with respect to, to every topic, to everything that, that, uh, that goes on in life. The Bible says the power of, uh, or life and death is in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat of its fruit. The man shall be satisfied by the fruit of his mouth. So, what you speak in here is what you'll see out there. Show me a man of dominion and, or sorry, show me a man's confession and I'll show you whether that man is having dominion or not. Whether he's operating in dominion or not. You are and will be what you confess yourself to be. Confess yourself to be some uh, weak, deprived thing that is defeated and frail, how many of you are all frail and faulty, You'll, you'll experience things like that in life. You'll be defeated. You confess defeat, you talk weakness, those things will multiply for free. Every word that you speak is a seed. So if you sow seeds of doubt, failure, defeat, weakness, you'll reap the harvest of those things. If you'll sow kingdom words, from the word of God, you'll reap the harvest of, God, of God's word. Because God's word, the Bible says, will always return. It'll always bring a return. Every word will bring a return, whether you know it or not. The Bible says, by your words you will be justified, by your words you'll be condemned. The Bible says that uh, it is a man's words. Proverbs, I forget if it's Proverbs 2 6, but it says, by the mouth of the upright he will be delivered. By the mouth, of, the mouth of the upright, a man will be delivered. By the words of the upright, he will be delivered. So your words are either sinking you deeper into that miry clay, sinking you deeper into defeat, or those words are working for you to deliver. So it's not just, you know, confessing God's word. What's your talk? When you talk, your conversation with other people. When they gather around the cooler, at work, and they start talking, you know, they start talking negative things. They start talking about how hard life is or whatnot. Do you join in on their conversation or do you just walk away? Andrew, Evangelist Andrew Reyes is watching and he said, when you decree a thing, it will be established. Job twenty-two twenty-eight, 28, great scripture. You shall decree a thing and it shall be established unto you. And I'll tell you, it'll be established to you to the degree that you decree it. So there's some Christians, they have a level of faith that enables them to decree a level. To a certain level. But I want to remind you, we don't serve a God who is limited. He is able to do far more above than you can ask, think, or imagine. According to his power that at work in us. So instead of, de- you know, instead of just decreeing the bare minimum, decree, dec- let your confession be matched up with God's power rather than human ability. And see where God takes you. Number five, and I'll finish with this. How to operate in dominion faith? Your action. Your action. Dominion means to do. Means to go. Jericho was delivered only after. Only after. They took action on God's word to circle the walls seven times. And on the seventh time, they blew the trumpets and the walls fell. Their dominion over the walls of Jericho came as a result of their action. Show me a man who is obedient to the word and I'll show you a man of dominion faith. That man that was blind wanted dominion over blindness. God said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. He went washed, and it's only in acting that he had dominion over blindness. David, the secret is his dominion in life, while he had victory everywhere he went was because he constantly inquired of the Lord. Lord, what next step should I take? And it's in taking those steps that it enforced his dominion on the earth. Those are five ways you can walk in dominion faith today. Don't speak, you know, faith words and then take doubt and unbelief actions and expect to arrive at a faith harvest. Faith is not just in big talk. Cheap talk faith brings nothing. Idle talk faith brings nothing. Faith is in your labor too. Show me a man. James said, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. God said, I will fulfill the work of faith with my power. I'll fulfill the work of faith with power. God is only obligated to fulfill the work of faith. Not just the confession and word of faith, but the work of faith with his power. That's how you take dominion over things in life. Where are three areas that you, you absolutely need to have dominion in. The area of your body, sickness and disease. The Bible says that he himself bore our sickness and carried our pains. So God obviously doesn't want you to bear something he already laid on Jesus. You can have dominion there. How do you enforce it? By following those five things I just talked about. Confess the word over it. Then take action. Get the oil. Put it on your head. Pray the word of God. The prayer of faith. And receive your healing by faith. Two, in the area of your mind. Take every thought captive. So, number one area God wants you to have dominion is in your, in, in your body, your flesh. The Bible says you are God's temple. Glorify Him in your body and your spirit. God cares about your body. He doesn't want some weak, emaciated body. He wants you to be strong. Two is in the area of your soul, your mind, your emotions. You can have dominion in that area. You can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And then number three is in your spirit, dominion over sin, dominion over the antichrist spirit of this world. Because in the last days, there's going to be seducing spirits, doctrines of demons, and unfortunately, many in the church are going to be caught up in it. And, gonna f- and we've seen in the last two years, many Christians that have sided with the antichrist spirit don't even know it, but they are. That's why the Bible says, if possible, even the elect can be deceived. Unfortunately, there are many that have been deceived by the antichrist system in the last two, two and a half years. So in the last days, uh, God wants you to know that you can actually have dominion in this spiritual area where you're not compromised. And you're not some patsy Christian that goes with every flow of doctrine going with the trend, going with what's uh, popular in the time, but that there's a backbone. See, that's what dominion over sin empowers you to do. Keeps you uh, strong in the word of doctrine and gives you a, a, a spiritual backbone and resistance against the Antichrist spirit. 1 John 4, 3, there are many Antichrist spirits in this world and behold, they're already in the world. Do not fear evil spirits, for there are many antichrist spirits. And behold, the antichrist spirit is already in this world. That's what 1 John 4, 3 says. But greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world. God, want, God's, God Jesus isn't coming back for a weak, emaciated church. He's coming back for a, a, a strong church without spot, without wrinkle. And I believe, God, you're going to be a part of that church in Jesus' mighty name. Let me pray for you. For everyone that's watching right now, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you need to do that right now. The number one requirement to walk in, in this level of dominion is you need to be saved. He that has the Son has life. The Bible says, only that which is born from above is above all. Can't have authority over these things if you're playing and toying with sin. Your sin will find you out. The Bible says that a man's sins will bring sorrow. It'll uh, 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 Many sorrows will come to him that hastens after other gods. That means if you're... If you haven't made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you're a magnet for sorrow and hardship in life. But Jesus said, Come to me all that are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's easy and my burden is light. Give your life to Jesus today. It's not an option. Give your life to Christ. Time is too short. Eternity is too long. Hell is too hot. Heaven is too real for you to spend an eternity away from it. And God is too good to let you... To let you go to hell. That's why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. It's the celebration that while we were still in sin, God demonstrated his life, his love towards you. If you think God's abandoned you and he doesn't love you, it's the devil's voice. God demonstrated his love towards you. While you were still in sin, he sent Jesus to die and shed his blood for you. So don't tell me God doesn't love you or that God sends people to hell. God has done everything in his power to make sure you make heaven. God's voted for you. The devil's voted against you. It's up to you to cast the final vote. Cast the vote right now in favor for God and your salvation. Believe. Pray this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I repent of my sin. For I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. I turn to you. I confess Christ is my Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong. And I'll never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to get in contact with me. Salvational.ca. The first link that pops up on our website is I Just Got Saved. Click it. Fill out that form. There's a video at the bottom of the page. Four basic things I would tell every Christian. It's going to greatly help and assist you. Um, and, and, and give you clear instructions as to what you should do now. So go and do that. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Maokanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.